knowing and the doing of things. There ain't no easy ride. There ain't no knowing and there ain't no doing. There ain't no Skyraft and there ain't no Sonic. You slog out there to nothing. Worse than nothing. The first place you'll find is a sleaze pit called Bartertown. Now, if the earth doesn't swallow you up first, that place sure as hell will. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. If we go, there will be trouble, but if we stay, it will be double in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 64, which begins with Slake and Savannah arguing, and it ends with Savannah glaring at Max. Joining us this week to convince us to take a walk in the desert is none other than Casadilla from the Fallout Fanatics Facebook group and the Wicked Wasteland podcast. Hi. Hello. Thank you for joining us in studio. Thanks for having me. This is so out of the ordinary for us. Usually we're just connecting with people online and they're just a faceless voice floating in the ether. But no, you're real. Yes. We yes. can we can confirm you are real. Yes, and I'm dressed <laughs> on theme too. Yep. <laughs> Cass came prepared with her Master Blaster t-shirt and her mohawk from her. How did you title it? Uh so we did a Wizard of Oz slash Mad Max uh, group cosplay a couple years ago, and we titled it The Yellow Brick Road Warriors. And I got to be the Wicked Witch of the West, and it was amazing. So I have this glorious feather mohawk with a monkey skull on the front of it. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely awesome. And the best part about it is no one shot it off with a shotgun. No. So it is still intact. Yes. I did not get feathers in my mouth. <laughs> Defying the laws of physics that did not happen. <laughs> so outrageous how uh, that worked. But getting back into the minute because like I said we are talking about minute 64 which starts off with Slake and Savannah having a little showdown right there in the middle of the camp. Slake is very adamant about there not being anything to this whole Captain Walker religion that they've been believing all these years and I kind of feel like Slake has more or less lost the faith in the mythos. Yeah first of all he's being very aggressive and I think that is a symptom of how hard he is taking it, that he has lost his religion. Yeah, he's definitely angry about the whole thing. And he seems pretty pissed off that Max is not the Captain Walker that they were expecting and hoping for. His dreams have been shattered. That's him in the spotlight, losing his religion. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But I find it interesting that for everyone in this tribe, their belief in this idea that someone is going to come get them and bring them to Tomorrow Morrowland, they're all handling the loss of that differently. Slake is pretty much transitioned into there is no God, we must be our own gods in this wasteland. And Savannah is like, okay, so Max wasn't our God, so we're just going to go out and find him again. And it's an interesting angle that she's coming at it. From. I really like that Savannah isn't dwelling on the loss of her deity. She made a new plan and she's going to approach the whole problem from a different point of view and she's going to go out and find her own way. With a society like this that is so isolated and has formed their own religion, it would have been so easy for their zeal to overtake them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're each handling it differently. We see kind of the polar opposites between Slake and Savannah, but neither of them are overreacting in a dangerous way, mm -hmm. yeah, which, is, which is good. <laughs> 
Yeah, I agree. I actually kind of like the way that Savannah handles it because she wants to get out. She wants to go and explore. She wants to try and find the solution to their problems. But I can also understand Slake's point of view because it's death out there. Mm-hmm. And we know that. I mean, they call it the nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyone who's seen the never ending story knows that the nothing is a bad thing. It consumes all and then there's nothing left. You just disappear. But Savannah doesn't care. And I got to wonder, do you think she has something to prove? Because she was the one that dragged Max into camp and said, oh, hey, everybody, look, I found Captain Walker and he turned out not to be. So is her insistence on going back into the nothing, do you think that's just her trying to prove that she's not been defeated? The way that I sort of look at Savannah is she's almost like a shaman for the tribe, you know, with her big feather headdress that she had and the TV frame, which I absolutely love that. I feel like she feels like her authority might have been taken away. And so she's looking for another way to get that authority back maybe that's what's going on and that's why she feels like she has something to prove she's got to go out there and find a solution and get the kids to where they can find their tomorrow moral and the knowing and the doing and maybe the fact that max wasn't captain walker it kind of took the wind out of her sails and she refuses to let that happen there's a thing on the very edge of my mind like a disney song or something about refusing to be held back or proven wrong or lying with mediocrity and i can't think of it so i'm gonna let it lie okay i'm gonna pass it by <laughs> if you have context of which disney princess it is yeah i, I don't figure it out. when you think of it please just break out in song oh wait no 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 there's a song, something about not letting someone rain on my parade. That sounds vaguely familiar, but I can't get enough to help you. <laughs> it's a Barbara Streisand song. Oh, <laughs> not quite Disney princess. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> the song starts out. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. And then she continues on saying, you know, don't tell me not to fly. I've simply got it. It's the song about how she can't be held down by any naysayers or dark clouds. And not that Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome would be better served as a musical, but if it were. <laughs> yeah, Bar- Barbara Streisand song totally fits with this event. Yeah. I don't see why not. (laughs) People are going to hate that I said that, but I don't see why not. (laughs) That Barbara Streisand song, is it from a movie or from an album? It's probably from a musical. I shut the uh, oh. the thing where I'm I had curious it, which so. one. The only one I can think of with her balls. Was it funny? funny face? Yeah, funny face. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Let's see. Ah, there we go. Don't Rain on My Parade is a popular song from the 1964 musical Funny Girl. Yeah, funny oh, girl. we were close. Yeah. Oh. It also featured in the 1968 movie version of the musical. The song was written by Bob Merrill and Julie Stein. And it's Barbara Streisand singing in both versions, stage and movie. Right, because it's not Funner Girl if it's not Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Right. So speaking of not being held down, (laughs) Savannah fires back to everything that Slake is saying by accusing the tribe of being program, all of you program, which kind of sounds like, oh, you're all drinking the Kool-Aid that Slake is handing out. I interpret it differently. Yeah. When I hear her say program, I think that she's saying think process this properly. You're not thinking it through. I don't know why, but program always sounded like, think about it, think about it, not you're programmed. But mm. I don't know, maybe that's just my interpretation. Yeah, I like that angle on it better because it sounds a bit less 
condemning. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Savannah suddenly throwing everybody under the bus, yeah. she's more pleading with them to think because she immediately fires in with a logic thing. If he ain't Captain Walker, who is he? Yeah, she has taken logical steps to justify taking another leaving and why that leaving might be successful. So asking everyone else to take this logical journey with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what she's saying. Because essentially she's recruiting. Yes. She she knows that the more people she takes along, the more water everyone can have because everyone will bring more water with them. Yeah. Even if they've each got their own little water flask amongst them, at least they'd have their own. So more of a total to pull from. Yeah. And if one of them dies, you can take their water. Exactly. It's a little dark, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> As Savannah continues, she says, he's a man just like all the rest of us. If he can make it through the desert on his own, then we can do that too. And Gecko and Mr. Skyfish are very quick to join this little cadre of people that are putting together a leaving. Gecko, who honestly, no shape to be going out into the desert. No. He needs to let that leg heal before he does any sort of rigorous hiking. Mm. I'm still very worried for Gecko. The novelization indicates that his leg is infected and in their society with absolutely no medical care, that kid's gonna die. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a death sentence. Yeah. I would not want to go if I was Gecko out into the nothing because I will say right now that thing flapping in front of his face would be super distracting. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Skyfish's argument is that Max isn't that much bigger than them and Gecko fires in with co-pilot did it so why can't we and so Skyfish looks at Max's stature all five foot ten inches of him and says oh well he's not a tall dude you know if he can do it we can and then Gecko is convinced that since the monkey survived that the small children can survive yeah both those arguments are flawed yeah if they would just sit down and have a conversation with Max If he were willing to, which I doubt he would be, but if he were willing to share a thorough story of how he made it across the nothing, they would realize that neither one of those beings walked the entire way. You could argue that Sally Ann crossed the nothing on foot and then was only partially carried after she found Max. Right. So there's this midpoint in the journey. And in the movie, we really don't know where this point lies in the timeline of the journey. But for the first portion, Max was riding a horse. Mm -hmm. For the second portion, Sally Ann was being carried by Max. Neither one of them walked the whole way. That's a good point. Yeah, they both utilized a beast of burden. Yes. And of course, Sally Ann's a monkey, so unless Savannah is legitimately a Disney princess, she wouldn't be able to talk to the monkey anyway. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's She's going to bust out into song. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see the lyrics for that song with their bizarre language that they developed. <laughs> the nice thing about this situation is that they don't have to talk to Max because they've got Anna Goanna coming in from the side hatch with a little bit of realism in the situation. <laughs> she comes in mostly because Gecko is thinking of taking the leaving, saying that the nothing isn't something to trifle with and that when Savannah found Max, he was half jumped by Mr. Dead. Mm. And of course, Savannah hears that and thinks, oh, well, you know, that's no big deal. You know, it's always going to be hard. Nothing worth doing in life is ever going to be easy. And she gets all inspirational about it, which just... Makes Slake so angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cutting back to Anna Goanna, 
watching just the movie at face value, her interjection, I think, is lacking something, lacking some kind of motivation. Mm -hmm. But with the addition of the novelization, you know that Anna Goena and Gecko are an item. I kind of figured that. Yeah, so she is possessive of Gecko. She doesn't step in until Gecko shows his desire to go with them. And then she's got a problem. Anna Goena also doesn't like Savannah. She doesn't like her leadership style. She thinks that she is a little forward about her belief system, maybe putting it a little bit much on everybody else. Yeah. So Anna Goanna's interjection, it's got a lot underneath it. Where Savannah is Barbara Streisand, Anna Goanna is more Tammy Wynette, choosing to stand by her man. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anna well, Goanna seems like she maybe she was like a, yeah, good riddance to Savannah <laughs> yeah, originally. Like, I don't care what you guys do. Just leave Gecko here with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which that makes a little bit sad that Anna Goanna feels this connection to Gecko that she doesn't want him to go, but he goes anyways without her. So yeah. maybe he doesn't reciprocate that connected feeling, which she, is really sad. She wants to be the only one that spins his Sonic. Well, that's what happens in the scene I, where I, Max I is lying unconscious. <laughs> I know. Get your minds out of the gutter. I, yeah, Come on. The, the other way that you could look at it is maybe Gecko was trying to find a better place for them. And he felt that he needed to go out and bring home the bacon, as it were. And the only place you can get bacon is from Bartertown. Yeah. A pig farm. <laughs> I don't know. They, they brought home a boar just two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't think they make it into bacon. I don't think they have Fools. the technology to I know, cure right? the bacon. <laughs> they don't have one of those butcher charts, so they don't know where all the good cuts come from. Mm -hmm. They don't remember that. They don't. Nope. They need the knowing and the doing <laughs> from Tomorrow Morrowland. I do really like the idea that Gecko perhaps does see a future for him and Anna Goanna, but wants something more than, you know, this provincial life. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All the Disney princesses. <laughs> All of them. <sighs> so Anna Goanna is played by Justine Clark. We're going to take a little bit of a detour here. Her top four on IMDb include Look Both Ways from 2005. Thunderdome in 1985. She was in the movie Danny Deck Chair in 2003 and in the TV show Tangle from 2009 to 2012. Justine Clark was born in Sydney in 1971, making her more or less 13 years old during the filming of this movie. At the age of seven, whilst attending Woolera Public School, Clark began appearing in television commercials, one of which was Arnott's Humphrey B. Bear Biscuits. At 11, she played the role of Brigitta in the stage musical The Sound of Music. So she has a lot of experience with bosun's whistles mm. after appearing on stage in that one. Mm. Clark's first significant acting role was as the character Anna Goanna in this movie. The same year, she appeared in the TV series The Maestro's Company and featured in the 1986 miniseries, and get ready for this one, Professor Poopsnaggle Steam Zeppelin. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, I need to watch that now. That's an amazing name. As a quick sidebar, Professor Poopsnaggle's Steam Zeppelin, also known as Professor Poopsnaggle and His Flying Zeppelin, was a popular Australian children's television series and a spin-off from the 1980 series Secret Valley that appeared on The Nine Network. It was first aired in 1986 in Australia and also later in Switzerland and Finland. Also Spain, Greece, the Netherlands, France, and Vietnam. That is so random. That is a bizarre broadcasting mm -hmm. region. Never made it to America, though. And I can't imagine why. Uh, but the Wiggles snag. did. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we could have had Poop Snaggle. Someone has something to answer for. Mm. <laughs> I want to say the original writer who named the guy Professor Poop Snaggle. 
But anyway, the following year, she made appearances in A Country Practice and Willing and Able. In 1988, Clark began an 18-month role on the soap opera Home and Away as one of 17 original cast members playing the character Ruth, quote-unquote, Rue Stewart, because, you know, she was a child, so you call her Rue. Australia, yay. Because you Rue having a child. (laughs) (laughs) She was one of several Home and Away cast members to star in a stage musical about the soap, which toured the UK in 1991. Also in 1991, she formed a Dolly Parton-inspired band called the Honky Tonk Angels, which disbanded three years later. Well, that's a damn shame. I know, right? (laughs) In the late 90s, she was a backing vocalist in the Sydney band Automatic Cherry that also featured the Cruel Sea guitarist James Crookshank. The band later released the album Slow Burner in 1997, and Clark is also a jazz vocalist and cabaret singer popular in the Sydney club circuit. Clark was a popular children's entertainer and presenter on the landmark children's television program Play School. She has released albums and DVDs of children's music, including such titles as I Like to Sing, Songs to Make You Smile, Great Big World, Pajama Jam, with a exclamation mark, so it's more like Pajama Jam! And the ARIA award-winning A Little Day Out with Justine Clark. She is still acting today, and over the course of her career has 49 acting roles on her IMDb page. She might be the most active waiting one that we have discussed so far. Most of them did a few things and then went off to have very, by comparison, (laughs) mundane careers. (laughs) But she really made a whole career out of acting and singing and performing. And Yeah. yeah. So getting back into the minute. As I mentioned before, I went off on my side note, despite Anna rightly saying that trying to cross the desert on foot is foolish, Savannah is still willing to push ahead and is convinced that there is something to be gained in this endeavor while Slake remains completely unconvinced. In fact, he gets really heated and he says, there ain't no knowing, there ain't no doing, there ain't no Skyraft, there ain't no Sonic. You slog out there to nothing. Again, I am struck by how aggressive he is coming across. And I really see that as a reflection of what he's feeling inside. I'm glad you brought up the idea of feelings. Because I'm getting the sense that he's not just angry, he's also kind of hurt at the idea that Savannah would leave. And we don't really know Savannah's connection with people outside of her connection to Finn as her child. But we don't know, does she have some sort of connection with Slake? Does she have some sort of connection with another member of the tribe? Is Slake connected to Kusha and he's upset that Savannah is taking Kusha? There's a lot of interpersonal connections that we just don't know, but there's definitely something behind his delivery of these lines. One of the things that I wonder about is... How old were the kids when they were finally left? And like how much of their reactions and the way that they deal with things are because they weren't raised by adults that explain how to deal with other humans. Because like I know that the plane crashed in the desert and it's been like 17 years since the end. I think so. And there's only a couple teenagers. I would assume that the plane crashed then. So they didn't have adults to teach them how to behave like people instead of, you know, feral children (laughs) that have some words but messed up language. So I have to assume that the reason that he's so aggressive is because he doesn't know how to express himself in a way that's not aggressive. And Savannah's so stubborn because she doesn't know how to try and 
be logical and talk people over to her point of view without just being like, we're doing this. Come yeah. with me. So I can understand that they have a hard time hiding their emotions and controlling their emotions because they haven't had that. Plus, they're going through their teenage oh, years geez. in the post-apocalypse. Oh, yeah. I'd be emotional, too. I Hormones. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> we try not to focus too closely on the implications of a bunch of children living in this tribe and the fact that there are really young kids. Yeah. And also people that, like Kusha, are seven, eight months pregnant. Yeah. We try not to dwell on that because I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole sociological level. Yeah. That we're good not. Yeah, that's fingers in the into. ear, la 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 la. Like, <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know. <laughs> I think it's fascinating, but we don't have that level of skill mm. to discuss those types of things. Yeah. But going back to the whole idea of like, how long did the adults hang out with the kids before they decided to take a leaving and go try and find help? We get the sense that the plane crashed, all of the adults and all the kids go find the crack in the earth, and then they all sit there, and then the adults get restless, Captain Walker gathers up 20 people and leaves. That's the tell. Yeah. There's no arguing about that. Right. But then there's also the implication of more and more adults gathering up groups and leaving in waves. But oh, okay. the tell, they don't spend a lot of time talking about numbers. Right. <laughs> the, mm. the only number we could get is the year, and that's half obscured on the wall yeah. because Miller knows better than to show someone a solid date like that. Mm. So I think that's a very valid question. Like, how much of life were the children taught? Like, the older children specifically. Yeah. How well, much were they taught? I have to imagine not a whole lot because their language is so distorted. You know, the fact that trekking and program and all this stuff, they use dialogue that doesn't really make sense in typical like English, like everyone else who was there for the end, the first generation survivors, the adults, they're still talking normal. Mm -hmm. It's just these kids that were isolated in the crack of the earth. That their language is a little tweaked and it still makes sense if you look at it in a certain way, but it looks like certain words of their typical dialogue has been translated and retranslated through like babblefish. And it's just a little <laughs> wonky. And maybe they used a thesaurus to switch some things around. But I have to imagine that that's why they're not so good at the social interaction mm. that most people who were brought up in regular society would have. Yeah, you can equate the skill of language to the skill of social interaction. Their language is tweaked. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good, but it's not 100%. We can still make out what they mean, but it's just off. So the same thing with their social interaction. We can understand what they mean when they're interacting with each other, but it's just a little off. Given how much their language skills have deteriorated, because they don't have books, they don't have written language, all they have is verbal passed down, which you isolate anybody enough and they're going to develop their own slang. You take someone from LA and someone from Boston, you put them in a room together, they're going to sound different. They're going to have their own pronunciations. They're going to have their own slang. You could even go a little bit closer to home, say someone from Georgia and someone from New York. Same coast, same time zone, vastly different dialects. You can even go so far as somebody from Maine to somebody from, say, like Revere, Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> what? No, you can't get that all from here. I mean, you want to talk about post-apocalyptic situations, Revere, you yeah. pretty much got it. Some parts of Maine, too. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's an island off the coast of, I think it's North Carolina, who are from the same stock as typical New Englanders and 
colonials. They're from the same people, but they were isolated for some reason. I can't remember exactly why they were isolated on this island. Their language is completely different now. Mm. It has not been that long, and their language is completely different from ours. Yeah, there's actually uh, an island in Europe, too, the Faroe Islands, Mm, where their language is like very close to Scottish, but it's not. And so their language is very different than everyone else's, but you can see the roots of it is Scottish and some of the other languages in that area, similar to that. As bad as their dialect is, I'm sure their social instruction is even worse because when all of the adults are gone, the only people that are left to instruct and guide and counsel the kids that are going through childhood and socializing themselves are the other kids. The inmates are literally running the asylum. (laughs) Back, oh gosh, I don't remember when we mentioned it specifically because I have my notes in front of me, but I don't want to scroll back to them. But when we first got to the crack in the earth, we brought up the idea of Little Lamplight Mm. from Fall. Uh, three. Which is one of my favorite places in the world. I loved Lamplight. I love that concept. It actually reminded me a lot of Thunderdome, which I used to watch Thunderdome at least once a day all through high school. Just kind of messed up. But yeah, so I loved, I loved Little Lamplight. It made me laugh so hard. And then when they brought back MacReady in four, oh my God, that made me so happy. It, it, I was live streaming when I was playing it and I had such like a revelation. I started yelling. I was like, oh my God, they just confirmed it. It was amazing. But yeah, lamplight. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And I got the sense that while in lamplight, you reach a certain age and you're expelled. Mm. In the crack in the earth, you reach a certain age and then it becomes your duty to go look for the other adults. Sort of a optional exile a decision that everyone's more or less expected to make, but isn't necessarily forced on them. So. That makes more sense than like a bunch of adults just leaving days old infants yeah. in the crack in the earth and be like, yeah, we're going to go find some food and water. So, you know, just hang out here. We'll be back. But it seemed like the most logical explanation for why there are just zero adults. Mm. Slake and Savannah are the oldest looking ones there. And in the text, Savannah is supposed to be 16, but... That's incredibly unreasonable. Helen Bidet was... Helen Boudet. Boudet? Boudet? <laughs> well, one of them sounds the, like a butt and one of them sounds like something that washes a butt. So the actress one. who plays Savannah was 22 at the time of filming. And so we like to consider her to be 22 instead of 16. Because she has a 10-year-old son. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's still bad. I know. Ugh. I mean, physically... It's possible, so Kush I'm willing to go two. with it, but <sighs> 22 with a 10-year-old is still not great. No. It goes along Ooh. with the social interactions. Nobody taught them about sex. Nobody taught them about relationships <sighs> or love or procreating. Nobody taught them anything about that kind of stuff. So <sighs> kids just left to their own, and this is what we didn't want to talk about, kids <laughs> just left to their own are going to follow their urges. Yep. And that's what happens. You get 12-year-olds getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And you get a 16-year-old on her second baby. That's what happens. It happens now. It does. Yeah. It's horrible. Except now they make television shows out of it. Yep. Trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back into the minute. <laughs> Slake mentioned that they slog out there to nothing. And this is Max's entry point in the conversation. You can't have a conversation happening without Max getting involved somehow. At least he's not whistling for their attention this time. He's just kind of moseying in on the background. Be like, oh, did I hear nothing? Well, it's worse than nothing. First, he says they'll find a sleaze pit called Barter Town if the earth doesn't swallow them up first. And holy foreshadowing, Batman. Well, yeah. He just finished the movie right then and there. (laughs) Spoiler alert. 
I hope Finn was listening. Apparently not. Yeah. Well, when did they ever listen? Children. But I feel like using the phrase a sleaze pit called Barter Town is using terminology that these kids don't understand. He's not fully explaining to them the depths of danger that they can find themselves in once they reach Barter Town. Like, I don't know, they could be kidnapped and sold into slavery of all kinds. When he says this, the first thing that pops into my head is that he should have just said, oh, it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's like, oh, come on. (laughs) He really is talking over their heads. And he's been in their midst for long enough to understand that their language isn't the same as his language. Mm-hmm. He has already had to adapt his language to get them to understand that the seas are destroyed. So to use these words that they have never heard in their entire lives, they have no idea what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And he is not adapting at all is just foolish on his part. Yeah. So the reaction to this whole, you know, you're going to get swallowed up. Savannah is basically Ralphie from A Christmas Story. She's not deterred. She's just standing there staring at Max, giving him the eye, not letting him slide with it. So that pretty much brings us to the end of Minute 64. We are going to put a pin in this. Cass, is there anything you would like to share with the people that are listening that they should check out on the Internet? Well, currently I am working on a project with one of the other mods of the Fallout fanatics group that you mentioned. We are putting together the Wicked Wasteland podcast, which is a Fallout-themed podcast where we're going to be discussing Fallout, the universe, the franchise, the lore, and things that have to do with it from the viewpoint of people who are originally from the Commonwealth, Massachusetts. So working on that with Harris, who is as I said, one of the other admins. And uh, we are going to be putting that up hopefully soon. And we should have the website up by the time that this is aired. And that's going to be wickedwasteland.com. And yeah. So peek behind the curtain for everybody. We're recording this in early June. It's coming out in early September. So we're talking about all of this three months in the past. And there's still a lot of work that's going into Wicked Wasteland. So keep an eye out for it, whatever form it's in. Yeah. Sorry for uh, shattering the illusion. Yeah. (laughs) The vault door might still be closed on this one. Uh, Hopefully not. Exactly. (laughs) We've got our fingers crossed that it's out there somewhere out on the road. As for us, coming up on Wednesday, we've got Savannah, who has heard enough. And though Slake will try to stop her, she is determined to leave, which will prompt Max to step up and see if he can convince Savannah to stay put. (laughs) The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 64 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time ah!